And this is a coach of mine, a mentor of mine told me this probably about 10 years ago, if not longer. But he said, when you get better, everything gets better. Vaughn's a serial entrepreneur with a real estate passion for real estate investing and helping others. I started as a technician like most people do. Industry specific business coaching and things such as that until about five years into business. For me, I'm just a serial entrepreneur. I'm a hard worker. I'm going to go in and like when I commit to something, it's all or nothing, right? I was responsible for probably 85 to 90% of our deals. So he's building acquisitions and wholesale business that operates with him and requires very little of his time. So this is something really cool about Vaughn that we're going to dive into. Welcome to the Zeroed In Podcast. I'm your host, John Lalonde, a seasoned real estate investment expert and former Marine Recon Sniper. This podcast is designed for those seeking effective strategies to increase revenue growth through strategic hiring, leadership, and effective tracking. Our focus here is clear and direct. We provide actionable insights from successful founders and growth experts. Whether you're establishing a new business or aiming to scale an existing one, our episodes offer the essential advice you need for practical business growth. Lock and load, zero in, and get ready to scale. Welcome to Zero In with John Lalonde, where real estate and business experts meet, featuring direct talks with top CEOs, founders, and leaders who have built their success from the ground up. Now, today I'm really excited. We've got Vaughn Bethel. Vaughn's a serial entrepreneur with a real estate passion for real estate investing and helping others. He likes to work with driven, motivated, and intelligent people who think outside the box, inside the box, and right on the edge of the box. So he's building acquisitions and wholesale business that operates with him and requires very little of his time. So this is something really cool about Vaughn that we're gonna dive into. Because of that, he's actually been able to start and build different verticals in the same space, including a rental company, an owner finance company, a lending and loan service company, and a coaching company. So Vaughn's goal and passion is to provide the dream of ownership through non-traditional financing to those Otherwise, who might not have the opportunity to actually get into those houses. So he would love to teach and coach others to do the same while he continues to grow his real estate portfolio. So Vaughn, incredible intro, man. Welcome on the podcast and thanks for coming on. Oh, man, I appreciate that. And thanks for having me. Of course, man. So let's jump in, dude. I want to know. So tell me about what you're I know we talked a little bit about what you do. Tell me about what your team looks like right now, because you've got like four or five different businesses, right? And you're managing the top guy on all of them. So tell me about what your team looks like. Yeah, man, it it sounds a lot more complex than it is, right? So five years ago, a little over five years ago, when I got into the business, it was just me. Um, I had two partners that I ended up buying out pretty quickly. Um, But I was doing all the grunt work, man. And I was, uh, you know, doing everything, you know, the sales, the marketing, the dispo, everything, going to all the closings, transaction coordination and all that. But I was heads down and trying to just generate cash, right? And then finally, I got to the point where I was just grinding, 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 and I was making really good money. But I'm a very perfect driven person. And, you know, fortunately enough, I had a lot of business experience in the past. So before I, I even got into real estate, um, I had ran different fit or I, I ran a fitness business. I was in the fitness industry for 15 years, but I had my own fitness uh, studio that did performance training and personal training for 11 years. And when I opened up the doors to that personal training studio, I had 23 clients. And then when I got out of the fitness training uh, and got out of the fitness space, I had 350 clients and a staff of 14. Right. Wow. So I had grew a successful business and a successful following and a successful community. But what I forgot to do is surround myself with the people that were going to be able to do it without me. 
And so it kept eating more and more and more of my time, right? I didn't get the right systems, tools, and processes in place. Now, granted, I didn't find actual business coaching and industry-specific business coaching and things such as that until about five years into business. I started as a technician like most people do. But once I finally found those things and started implementing those things, I had a, I look up and I have a team of just young, entitled people that want everything and don't want to do anything, right? Yeah, that's so good. I have a quick question on that. When you you started out with partners, so most people that are looking to jump into a new business venture, that's the first thing that they do. I've done the same thing, right? So why did you partner? And then how did you know, okay, it's time to go out on my own? Yeah. So when I partnered, I was actually, uh, you know, in between trying to figure out what I wanted to do and really who I who I was, because coming from 15 years in the fitness space, I was known as the, you know, the sports performance coach, the soccer coach, the personal trainer. Um, and I and I was known as that guy for 15 years in our community. And I created a lot of relationships and built a reputation for myself. But I look up at the end of the day and, you know, people like to work out in the times that you need to be spending with your family and taking time for yourself. Right. So before yeah. work, after to work at lunchtime and on the weekends. And, you know, that was just not good for family life. So I had to make a decision. I had to make a pivot. So when I got into the, the real estate investment space, I was actually doing sales as a high end uh, or a sales. Yeah. For a high end remodeling company. And I was surrounded by it, but we were doing in-home sales, right? Like that one, one stop close, right? And I had a friend that was starting to do some flips. I was living vicariously through her. She had over 20 years built a, a pretty decent sized rental portfolio while she had, you know, she was running a jewelry store in the background and uh, she was trying to get away from the jewelry business. I was trying to get, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. I was going with her on some of her flips, just kind of, you know, trying to learn. And then finally we were just like, Hey, why don't we partner together and start doing stuff together? Well, we didn't have a lot of capital or a lot of backing, so we had to figure out how to create, you know, something from nothing. And that's how we found wholesaling. So, okay. you know, for me, I'm just a serial entrepreneur. I'm a hard worker. I'm a, I'm going to go in and like, when I commit to something, it's, it's all or nothing. Right. So I was just head first, became a student, you know, YouTube university. I'm, you know, this is all I can think about. Well, the partnership lasted for about a year, but at looking up to going into the end of that year, I was responsible for probably 85 to 90% of our deals, but I was splitting everything three ways because we had a third partner too. So, you know, at the end of the day, you look up and you're like, hey, you know, it's just not waiting evenly, at least in my eyes. So, you know, this is something that I either have to go out and do on my own. They can buy me out, whatever the situation may be. And being that we were good friends and we never wanted business to come through between friendship, we quickly became, it came to a solution and an agreement and I bought them out within a matter of a month. So, wow. Okay. And when you did, so you started again, did you guys have any employees that you brought over or did you start and it was just Vaughn by himself and then you built the business from there? You know what? I had, we had one, I guess you can call employee is more of a 1099 contractor, but he was my driving for dollars guy. Right. Okay. And he's been yeah. with me for five years. He still is my driving for dollars guy. He's awesome. But yeah, you know, I, I realized that. I'm, I'm wired different. <laughs> Not many people think the way I do. So to have somebody that's you know on board with me and that I can partner with and truly have the same work ethic and, and the vision that I do is, is very hard to find. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what does your team look like? And you, you, you talked about your fitness business. What does your team yep. look like now in your real estate business? 
Well, that kind of comes back to, and I, and I tell you, like, kind of reverse engineer that. Um, after I bought my partners out, I, I went for about a year by myself. I had maybe half the year I had a, an executive assistant. I tried to sit back and realize, like, all right, I'm making good money. Things are going well. I'm grinding. But how am I going to get people to join my team and be excited to wake up every morning and go to work? Right. Yep. And they're not going to be like, yay, I get to go make Vaughn some money. Yeah. So I had to get really clear on my purpose, cause and passion and, and what I wanted to build this company around. And once I did that at the end of 2020 and started you know, casting that vision to other people, I was able to get people on board and bought into to my my passion. Right. My purpose and our vision. And since I was able to do that over the last four years, we now have over 20 people on our team. I have a COO that runs all of our companies. Um, let's me to be the true visionary. I have an operations manager. I have a sales manager. I have a uh, multiple acquisition specialist. I have multiple disposition specialists that focus on, you know, cash buyers as well as owner finance buyers. I have a loan servicing and underwriting company. So I have a uh, operations manager over there. That's also an RMLO. So we can underwrite loans. We can uh, service loans. And, and most of those are your non-traditional, right? But yeah, I've got a property manager. Um, I got project managers for when we're renovating the properties that we're holding as rentals or owner financing. So the team has grown significantly in the last four years. And people sit back and look like, hey, that's a lot of exponential growth in a short period of time. But I had to get really, really clear on what I wanted to do and what the purpose and passion of the company was in order to bring on the right people and get them all aligned in the same direction. So a lot of people struggle with that first hire, right? You just said it was yep. just you. You had somebody that you're paying 1099 to go driving for dollars. And what most people think is, why is somebody going to come work for me, right? It's just me. So you said the purpose, cause, and passion is what got people on board. So how do you get people? What do you tell them? What conversations are you having? Because, you know, like when you have a big company uh, like you do now, um, where you've got 10 to 20 employees, you can say, hey, this person is making this much money in this position. And if you do the same thing, you can make that. But at the beginning, you don't have that. It's just you, right? And so how did you tell those people to get to work for you? So you really got to cast the vision. And that's why it's important to get dialed in on what that purpose is, right? So you got to cast the vision. You got to show them, hey, here's where we are. I can't pay you a ton, but I can you know, basically partner with you by paying you a percentage of what you bring in and how you're helping me and the value you're bringing to me in this particular role. But here's where we're going. And when they could see that vision and see what they had the potential to make in in six, 12, 18 months, that's when you start to get people bought in. And, you know, a lot of people don't look at it this way. But when I'm coaching people or I'm working with uh, business owners, whether it's in the real estate space or any other space, the first hire I always tell them to make is an executive assistant. And that person can be a V, it can be virtual or it can be in person, but you got to free up your time, take the things off your plate that you don't like to do and free up your time to go put that uh, purpose, cause and passion in place and start to cast the vision. So an EA first, that would be the first hire yeah. no matter what. So, yep. and they're just doing, they're doing what for you exactly? Like, let's say you're yeah. starting out, you've got a business, you're, you know, usually when you're starting a business, you're probably in the sales role. At some point, yep. right? Like probably doing absolutely. Sales. So, what are they doing for you in your in your free time, like in, in their time? Yeah. So for everybody is different, right? So like when people are trying to figure out what that first hire is, like 
use a VA. And a lot of times I tell them virtual because it's, uh, it's very affordable. You can hire them for part time, you know, 10, 20 hours a week to start. But, you know, make a list, make a list of all the things that you do in a day and then start piecing off the ones that you don't like to do, which is probably 80 percent of the list. Right. And then start figuring out how to delegate those things and hand it off because one is going to energize you, right? When you don't have to focus on the, the, the tedious, maniacal task on a daily basis, you can hand that off, but it allows you to focus on the things that you love to do, whether that's, you know, the sales piece, the acquisitions, the dispositions, or even just going out and, you know, mapping out the vision of the company. So it's going to be different for everybody. Me, I'm a, you know, glorified sales and marketing guy, right? That's my background. Um, yeah. but for other people, it might be operational and they want to, you know, have somebody do the, the, the setting up the appointments or, you know, doing the cold calling or, or whatever it may be, the things that they're doing currently that they don't like to do. How long did you sit in the, so you're obviously a sales guy, right? By nature, you can oh, yeah. just by your, by your personality. How long did you yep. sit at sales role before you brought on your last hire? When did you say, okay, I'm ready for an acquisitions manager or salesperson to come on board? Yeah. So I hired my, our first acquisition specialist back in 2021. Um, okay. Actually, 2020. Sorry. End of 2020. Um, I brought in a full time acquisition specialist or acquisitions manager that started full time in January of 2021. Right. Okay. And I spent the first 90 days so the first quarter of 2021 training that person up. So a lot of people hire and then they forget to train them on what it is that they expect or what they want them to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, Hey, I'm going to bring you on for acquisitions or I'm going to bring you on for dispositions. Here you go. And then they expect him to just know what to do and then make it happen. And then almost a hundred percent of failures. Well, you know, I would say a, a big bulk of that, maybe not a hundred percent, but uh, a lot of uh, failures from a hiring standpoint become because they didn't relay exactly what it is they wanted in that position or what success looked like in that position. So acquisitions, it was one of the first things that I hired out. But I yeah. had to make sure that I really, really trained that person up. Right. Was that, was that the first thing that after your executive assistant? Did you hire after your executive assistant? Yep. How did you know that you were ready? How did you know that it was time to hire that first acquisitions manager, acquisition specialist? Because I knew I didn't want to be doing this all day long for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Okay. So what, if I could figure point, out. Do you know at what point that actually came to where you said, okay, I'm going to scale this into a business and this is how I'm going to do this. My journey is a little bit unique in the standpoint of I had 15 years of business experience before I got into this. So I knew coming in that that's something that I didn't want to do by myself long term. I had to scale it and I had plans to scale from when I first started in. Right. And that's unique that, that, you know, that's where a lot of people are lacking or don't know how to do it. And I fortunately enough had the experience to do it. So I can't really speak on that standpoint for people that don't have that experience, yeah. but I also knew that I didn't want to do this and be the one that it was relying upon for the rest of my life. Cause you know, if it's relying on you, your income is relying on you. Yep. A hundred percent. And so you hired a, a team of acquisitions. Now what I'm really curious about is you have a sales manager now, right? Somebody yep. that runs your acquisitions team. Absolutely. So did you promote from, he started as a specialist, worked his way up into sales manager, or did you pull somebody from the outside? So uh, that's a unique story because I pulled him from the outside, right? So my current sales manager, he, he's actually my neighbor. He lives two doors down from me. We're good okay. friends. Um, but he was a sales manager for LGI Homes, 
right? And he was growing a neighborhood and in one of our local markets for them, right? A new construction neighborhood. So he was one of the ones sitting in the model home. People would come in and they would sell the new construction homes. But he was in uh, sales with a mattress company with mattress firm for 20 years before that. So he had extensive sales knowledge and experience, but it was more of in the manager standpoint, right? And I had acquisition specialists, I had disposition specialists, but I needed somebody to come in and one, hold them accountable outside of just myself, right? Uh, to make sure that they're hitting their targets, they're hitting their goals, but also to continue training them, to, to continue sharpening the axe, right? Yep. And build the culture. Um, and so I actually created that position. Um, and not a lot of people have that, right? Their sales manager or acquisitions manager is their, you know, their salesperson, right? Yeah. And their manager. So they might have a couple of people underneath them, but they're also on the phones doing the sales too, or going out to the appointments as well. Mine doesn't do appointments, doesn't do sales calls. He just holds the sales team acquisitions and dispositions accountable to reaching their targets, hitting their goals, and continuing education. How did he transition? Did you put him through a period where he was going on appointments and closing deals and then had him learn the craft first? Or did you just say, hey, you know how to do this. Just go in and, and, yeah. and make our performance improve. Yeah. So when you hire somebody that has experience and is an expert or subject matter expert in their field, right, with his being sales, you know, 80% of the sales is the same. The other 20% is subject matter. Yeah. So I had him jump in right off the bat and just start looking at areas where we could start perfecting or fine tuning the process. Right. He didn't know the subject matter. Like in, in reality, selling new construction homes is totally different than, you know, getting yeah. a seller to or, or a property owner to sell us their distress home. Yep. yep. But the 80 percent is the same. Now, for the last year and a half, he's been sharpening the axe on the subject matter. But the concepts of holding people accountable, hitting targets, hitting goals and creating the culture. Right. Is the same. And it's the same thing for business. In any business, 80% is the same. Systems, tools, processes, and people. And then the 20% is subject matter. So his daily, what is his what is his daily activities look like for you right now yep. as a sales manager? How many, one, how many reps does he have? And what are the what is it what does his activity look like? Yeah. So right now he, we have two acquisitions reps and two dispositions reps under him. Okay. Okay. So st- starting off in the morning, the first thing that we do every morning at 915 is we do our sales huddle. Right. So we just go over the numbers from yesterday and the numbers from the uh, where we are week to date compared to the previous week. Right. And then we look at any unique situations on the acquisition side, look at unique situations on the disposition side um, that the reps may need help with. And then he also does our uh, LOIs or our analyzer. So we do everything over the phone. We don't go out to in-person appointments anymore. So we have a three step sales process. Our acquisitions people are not allowed to make an offer on the first call. It's all about building rapport, establishing a relationship, getting the seller to know, like, and trust us, and then understand how we do business, right? And then asking them for to set the next appointment to when we can deliver the offer. So it's separating ourselves and our culture and who we are from everybody else. Right. And then uh, from there, he's putting together the offers for him or at least giving them the, the range to deliver on the next call. And then he's also his job is to see it through from contract to close. Right. So we have we have a tr- we have a transaction coordinator or an attorney that's whose paralegals do a lot of the legal side. But his job, right, his one magic number or money ball number is closings and revenue. 
So whatever it takes to get it from contract to close, getting on the phone with a seller or, you know, getting a tenant out or communicating with the seller to help evict the tenant or whatever that needs to happen. Right. And, you know, in, in, in distress sales, a lot yeah. of stuff can happen. But ultimately, it's extreme ownership of doing whatever it takes to get it from, you know, contract to close. Right. It's so interesting that you bring that up because uh, I was on a coaching call with one of my mentors earlier in the week. And I'm primarily in a sales manager position right now. I've got, you know, three acquisitions managers and, and two dispositions managers. And I was telling him most of your time, and especially when you're in this part of your business, most of your time is spent just making sure that the train doesn't fall off the tracks, right? It's just exactly there are contracts coming in, your acquisition team locks them up and your dispo team is selling them. But there's a lot that goes on in between those two things, right? You've got tenants that don't want to leave, right? Or they're not paying. You've got squatters. You've got, you've got other investors showing up to the property, talking to the seller saying, Hey, I can give you a better offer. You know, try, just, yep. just cancel with those guys. You've got all of those things in between. And the most important number, at, you know, at the end of the day is, is what we make. You can lock up all the yeah. contracts and have all the hard contracts the dispo team could sell them but if those deals don't close your business doesn't have revenue so i love 100 anyone say that before so i love that you said his entire focus is just deals closed and revenue right and that's yep. it that's i don't it. care you know the contracts that come in is great the contracts that get sold is great but how many are closing at the end of the yep. day yeah, and it's it's as it's as simple as that moneyball number, right? Like is that one number to focus on in every area or every position in your company? Like he knows like your moneyball is $140,000 a month. Yep. Right? I don't care how you get there. But that's what ha that's what has to happen. That's the goal, that's the target that you that you have to hit. And that's not a goal, that's a target, right? If you aren't hitting that target every month, you're not doing your job, right? Yep. We can set a goal for 180, $200,000 a month. But the target number is 140. Yeah. Right. And that's when as long as we're hitting 140 every month, I don't have to come in and double check on what's going on. Right. Like so it's just giving people extreme ownership or them and them taking extreme ownership of their position. But, yeah, a lot of his time is spent putting out fires. Right. <laughs> Put out yeah. fires, but you got to get to closing. <laughs> I like it. And how did you see performance change when you brought up when you brought in this outside guy who doesn't have any experience in the whole like what did the performance change look like from before he was there till after? Uh, well, it's clear expectations, right? So when you give people clear expectations and I, and I'm not always the best, right? I think differently. So sometimes it's hard for me to communicate what I want. Right. I'll tell people this is what I want, but it doesn't come out the way I think it does <laughs> or the, the, you know, the things that don't stick that I think should stick. Um, but once you just get clear and get that feedback on what it is that they expect. Right. So what do you think you should be doing as far as like what I told you and, you know, uh, repeat it back to me. Once you have clear expectations, then now it's accountability, right? You can hold others accountable, but you also can be accountable yourself, right? You can create goals and you just, we all moving towards the same common purpose. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing I see is like when everybody has clear expectations and they're focused on just that one or two things. Yeah. Everything else, like amount of outgoing calls and outgoing texts and all that stuff leads to that one number. But at the end of the day, this one number is the one that matters. Mm -hmm. Right. So. One 
One of the things that I love that you just said is that you have your team repeat. Hey, what did you hear me say? Repeat back to me yep. what you heard me say. Because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, especially, you know, you're a type A personality, you just start saying things, right? And sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, depending on who you are, like I know for me, I'll tell them 10 different things, right? Hey, we're going to do all like this. This is your sales call. This is everything you could have done better. You got that? And they, you know, yep. they give you the head nod. Yep, I, I got that. And then you go, okay, cool, go do it. And then, but stopping and saying, hey, what did you hear me say? Right? Yeah. What did you hear me say that, that we just went over? They tell you that. And then you get the commitment. Hey, can, can you commit to doing this better, 10% better? Let's say um, right now you're talking 80% of the time, they're talking 20. Can you commit yep. to doing 70% and they're talking 30? Right? Can you commit to that? Getting that commitment. And then from there, having the clear expectation. So one of the things that I've seen in really good leaders is they always take ownership on that, just like you did, right, yeah. is I get that commitment level back and I make sure that they have those clear expectations. So that's incredible. Yeah, and a, a big thing, and, and I'm, I'm still working on it, right? I'm not the best at it, but I'm getting better because I'm aware, but it's telling them what success looks like, right? So what does success look like in this position? Or what does success look like in this project or this rock that we create, right? So if we have rocks for the first quarter, okay, here's our rocks. But you might have an idea in your mind of what success looks like. But if you don't clearly communicate that to them, they're going to come back and they're like, hey, you know, I did it. And you're like, that's not what I, I was envisioning, right? So oh, start, with the, start with the end in mind and then reverse it. Let them ver reverse engineer it, right? And then create checkpoints along the way. But... Here's a, here's a project. Here's what it looks like when it's successful and, and complete. I'm gonna let you figure out the, the middle piece, right? And that's where, you know, you talk about me having a team in multiple companies. Being a true CEO, we've all heard of the 80-20 rule, right? Yep. However, we wanna break that down a little bit more and we got 10, 80, 10, right? As a CEO, I wanna come in on the, at the first 10%, which is the ideation and creation, Right. And I want to come back in at that last 10%, which is the implementation and integration. I'm going to hand it off the middle to you guys and let you figure out how it's going to get done. Right. And I got to have a hundred percent trust in my team that they can figure out the how. I like that. So you come up with the idea, you let them come mm -hmm. up with all the pieces and then you're coming in at the very end just to help with the implementation, kind of giving a sign off on it. That looks good. And that's how you're able to manage all of your other yeah. companies. Yeah. And then being the fact that I do have more sh subject matter expertise than they do, because I don't go out and hire people that have the, the same that are in my industry and do what I do. Right. Because usually I've done that in the past and they have bad habits. Right. That I have to retrain and it's hard to correct bad habits. Right. That you already have. But if I come have bring somebody on board that doesn't have those habits and I can train them and educate them on my industry and how I want things done. You know, I, I do have to give them a little bit of like uh, direction. In that 80%, as far as like, here's some resources you might want to look at and, you know, da, 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 da. But for the most part, 10% ideation creation, the last 10% is integration and implementation. And now you're at a point where, you know, a lot of people struggle to get to this point. You have a, did you say a CEO or a COO? COO. You have a COO. Okay. So explain yeah. what, what a COO is doing for you. And then I'm going to yeah. add, I would love to know how you kind of jump to that point to have somebody yeah. help you out with that much stuff. 
Uh, so a lot of people know CEO, COO, and also a lot of people look at, you know, see him as a visionary and integrator, right? So I'm a visionary, right? Like I, I can see the 30,000 foot view, right? I can sit up here and see where we're going. I can say, Hey, here's where we can be in five years here where we can be in 10 years. Right. Or I could see things coming and say, hey, we need to you know, plan for this or we need to pivot here or do that. It's hard for the, everybody else to see that. Right. But when I get into the day to day, right, the daily operations, that's where I can't communicate that vision or it slows the vision down. So I needed to be, get to a point where I can stay up here at this 30,000 foot view and work on my business and see things before they come or see where things are going wrong and I need to correct them and where we need to pivot. But I need somebody that's in the day-to-day operations, holding people accountable, making sure that the culture is is where it needs to be and making sure that we're all moving forward towards the same common purpose, right? So the integration of it. So COO stands for Chief, Chief Operations Officer. And that's exactly what she is. Or an integrator, she's taking my vision and integrating it into the companies. So you had to get to that point, right? And what I hear a lot of people, what a lot of people do is they use the term visionary to write off as an excuse for being lazy or um, not detail oriented, right? I'm sure you've heard that too, right? Where people are like, oh, I'm a visionary. That means I don't like to work. But you obviously didn't do that because you've been able to build salespeople underneath you, closers, right? A sales manager until you've gotten to that COO. So how did you, how did you kind of go against the grain? You're obviously maybe not the the most detailed, the most in the day to day. How'd you overcome yeah. that to build what you've built now? I had to get in and do the work. And what I mean by that is not just the the sales and you know the acquisitions and the dispositions and the transaction coordinating coordination. That's the subject matter work. I'm talking about I literally had to get in and I had to write out systems, I had to write out processes, I had to create tools. Almost like that, you know, we've all you've read the E Myth, right? Yep. Yeah. Right? Is, is, is that franchise prototype? Right. A lot of people that I see that want to be successful entrepreneurs and have a team and grow a team don't take the time to actually write out the systems, tools and processes. Right. And but but they they just want to hire a bunch of people and just, you know, throw up all their stuff on them, dump it on them, but not telling them how to do it. Right. Yeah. It's so much easier if you take the time at the front end, write out, create and put the systems, tools, and processes in place that you want to run your business off of. And then when you hire people, you train them on that, right? Yep. So Man, it's just taking I, the time and getting it done, right? I love that because there are two books that you hear people talk about a lot, and I think they're polar opposites. There's the who, not how, right? And then there's the email. And I hear a lot of people that are, that read who, not how, and they go, oh, well, I'm just going to hire a bunch of people to build my business for me. And then I don't have to work. I can go like, go sit on the beat. And I've never seen anyone successful, not to say that you can't learn anything from who know how, I think it's a great book, but what you just said, I love you built out all of the processes, clear expectations, and you do the 10, 10 and 80, right? Or you come up with the idea, you let them figure out how you're going to get there. And then you come in for the last 10% on the back end to, to write it off. And I love the principles that you've used to be able to get there because you didn't just say, I'm a visionary. I need to go find somebody to partner with to do all the work for me. You put in the work, right? And that's exactly what you said. I put in the work. 
love that. Absolutely. And I have a different, uh, I have a different little take on the who, not how versus like putting in the work. Right. So yeah. the who, not how is great when you get to a certain point. Yeah. It's like point I'm at now, like I can bring in a higher level executive and that person can make a huge difference. Right. And yeah. a huge difference, meaning that it could be a higher level marketing person or a higher level salesperson or a higher level operator. Right. And yeah. they have experience and they, they had the 80% experience, but they need the 20% subject matter. Right. And they're yeah. used to operating at that 80% of the experience at a high level. But if I'm like most wholesalers, right. 80% of wholesalers don't make more than $250,000 a year or don't do more than $250,000 a year in revenue. Yeah. They can't even afford to hire the who that's going to make that big of a difference. Right. So yeah. you got to put the work in until you get to a certain point to where you can afford to hire the who, because the right who's don't come cheap. hundred percent. And there's no way around it. Right. You have yeah. to put the work in. There's no shortcuts. A lot of people think that they're going to say that they're a visionary and they're going to go find. I'm going to go find my operator partner, my integrator partner to do everything for me. And then I get to sit back and tell them that one day we're going to make $10 million a year in revenue, right? And that's my only job. And so what I love is I I believe you're a true visionary where you actually have built something up and then now you can use your highest and best use. So I think that's incredible. Um, Talk to me about the Pathway to Homeownership program. And the reason I want to ask is because, you know, you've started out wholesaling, flipping, kind of like every investor does. And you see wholesalers and flippers kind of go in a couple of different directions, right? They go invest in big apartment complexes, which I'm sure you're probably doing some of that too. Um, Or they just go uh, off and like to do a mastermind coaching, um, something like that. But you've, you've gone lateral and you've, it sounds like you've got a a servicing business and you're building long-term wealth while helping people have a vision to be able to get into a home. So tell me about, tell me about that. Yeah. So that goes back to, uh, you know, what I said early on about identifying your purpose, cause and passion. Right. And in order to build a big uh, or a good team and something that is driven around one common purpose, you got to have a purpose that everybody can believe in. And I believe that our pathway to home ownership program is where we're going to have the biggest impact in the world. And what I mean by that, like what we do instead of going out and just buying rentals or buying uh, flip properties and flipping them, you know, our number one objective is to find a property that we can turn around and fix up and we don't do, you know, your HGTV flips, right? So we want to make sure all the major systems are good. So, you know, good solid roof, good solid plumbing and electrical, no foundation issues, clean it out, carpet and paint. We don't do any structural changes. And then we find a family that can't get traditional financing today, but they just need a pathway. They just need a bridge, right? And it could be, yeah, I'm, we're self-employed, right? It's hard for self-employed individuals to walk into a bank and get a loan, right? Unless we're married to somebody with a W-2 or we have a significant business history, right? There's a lot of people out there that have a down payment, can afford the monthly payment, and they can show that through underwriting. And they just want to stop renting and start owning and start creating generational wealth. And we give them an opportunity to do that but also put them in a position to refinance this out within 12 to 36 months. And that might just be 12 months of a solid on-time payment history through our servicing company. And any retail bank in the world is going to refinance them out with 12 good months of solid uh, servicing history, payment history, and enough loan to value or equity in the, in the property. What is that roughly? Um, so what do they need to put down roughly? And then yeah. what, 
what, so 12 months of history, what else are they yeah. looking for? Yeah. So for us, uh, there's certain criteria that we require in our program and it's to protect us and our investors. So we require a minimum of 12% down, right? Okay. So if the sales price on a property is a hundred thousand dollars, they got to have at least $12,000 down. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't include closing costs and escrows and all that stuff. That's just a down payment. And then for us, you know, we, we can't go to the bank and say, Hey, I'm gonna buy a bunch of these properties. Can you loan on to loan on them to me so I can turn around and sell them on owner financing? We raise our money through private money or private capital, right? So we partner with other people to do this. So in, in three years ago, our average, we were raising money and borrowing money at 8%. So I got to have at least a 2% spread in my loan. Yep. So I was lending at 10%, but now, you know, with interest rates going up, my, I'm averaging borrowing at 9%. So now yep. I'm lending at 11 to 12%, depending on where my loan is. So people will much rather pay 12% or 11% to get into a home and start owning, right? Then to continue to pay for rent for another year. Because guess what interest that is at? Yeah. 100%. Exactly. <laughs> and right? tell me about this. I mean, what do your repair requests look like now compared to what they were when you were owning a bunch of rentals? Right. What, yeah. What's the difference in the, I guess, the pride of ownership? You owning these properties, or are you really just owning the paper to them and them yeah. owning the property? Right. How is that different? Well, I don't have any repair requests. And here's what I always tell people when you get into the owner financing game and selling, you know, properties on a note, you don't have to worry about tenants, toilets, or taxes, right? Because yep. now they own the property. The toilets and taxes is their responsibility. So repairs and maintenance, all I do is collect a check every month or in our case, a deposit into my account, right? So if you, your personal home, if it's financed by a bank and your air condition goes out, you don't call your bank asking them to come fix your air condition. Yep. <laughs> You're responsible for that yourself. And that's the best thing is like, if you look at my rental portfolio, I average a little over $200 of cash flow per property. But with my yep. note portfolio, I'm averaging about $682 per property cash flow. Yeah. You don't have that giant, that roof that needs to get replaced with a $10,000 deductible. You don't need that HVAC. You know, there's no squatters or anything like that. You're, you're, you're all covered. Yeah. Now I was gonna say the other co cool thing about that is too, is I get the full down payment. So our average assignment fee is about 15 grand, but our average down payment is about 25. Wow. So you're actually cash flowing more on those properties than you are in your assignments. Yeah. That's and don't forget the equity, the equity I have in the property in the note too. Wow. Wow. So wow. when they refinance me out, I have at least 35 to $40,000 of equity in that property. On average, and I noticed you're so right now you're headed south, right? Is the goal to do this nationwide? What's the what's the overall goal with this specific leg of your business? Yeah, the overall goal is to impact as many people as we can, right? So when I set out and created this mission, this purpose, cause, and passion back in 2020, I had a 10 year vision of providing the dream of home ownership to 500 families through non traditional financing by 1231 2030, right? So 2030. Yep. Now. My team, my leadership team took it amongst themselves because we're completely bought into this and everything is aligned. That goal is 500 families by 1231, 2026. And when we hit that finish line, guess what? The finish line is just going to move 
to yeah. 5,000, right? So we're starting by doing the, you know, the state of South Carolina, which we're in the upstate of South Carolina in the Midlands. And then we're starting to branch out into some of the surrounding areas. So you got Charlotte, North Carolina area. We have uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, we're doing a little bit in central Florida, but it's to go from South Carolina to the Southeast and then as many markets as we can. And it makes sense in the, in the entire country. Right. And, it, and obviously it doesn't make sense maybe in every single market. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But a lot of them it will. So I want to shift gears a little bit. I always like to talk the last 10 minutes of what you do on, on a day to day. But I want to yeah. I want to read. I sent you an email earlier and I want to read your okay. email response because I think it's I think it's pretty cool. So due to high workload, I'll only be checking responding to emails at 11 and 4 p.m. Eastern on weekdays. Actually, I'll be honest. My assistant will be the one checking, responding to my emails with a uh, like a tongue out winky face. We will try to respond to your emails in a timely manner without neglecting the needs of our customers, clients and brand identity. If you need anything, you know, uh, time sensitive, respond to this person. Phones are more fun. And this is my favorite part. Hopefully this new approach to email management will result in more focused and creative work on my part where I belong. Cheers. And here's to a life outside of my inbox. Time to make an impact. Addicted to real estate, Von Bethel. So I love that you've got, you really, you really do uh, practice what you preach about, hey, you're checking your emails at this time. And I can tell you're somebody that's disciplined with your time, right? So what does your day look like now managing, you know, a CEO? um, I'm sure your, your sales managers report to them. So what are you spending your time doing? Yeah. I, and before I get into that, I'm be a little bit honest with that email. Like I, my assistant, I have an executive personal assistant now and uh, she's checking that email inbox. So I'm not even checking it. She's I have a personal email that she sends things that are imperative that I'll, only I can answer to okay. my personal inbox. Um, she does respond to a lot of things from my from my inbox that if you if you email me at my business email address, more than likely she's getting in and responding to it. Right. Uh, it allows me to focus on what I do best. But now, like like I mentioned before, it's all about focusing and working on the business. Right. So what are the biggest things that are going to move the needle forward? Well, right now for 2024, for me, that's capital raising, right? We're getting ready to launch a fund. We really want to take this pathway to home ownership or, or PTHO program to the next level. And then we want to basically uh, make the biggest impact. That 500 number is not just a, you know, pie in the sky number. That's realistic, right? And we have less than three years to do it now. So in order to do that, I have to raise as much capital as I can, but it's not going out and just raising capital from like normal investors that want a high return on investment, right? Or a high interest rate. Right. Yeah. These are people that I'm also going to be helping by giving them consistent monthly cash flow and security. So think of it as like, a, and here's the here's the term I'm, I'm I'm running with. It's like a real estate annuity, right? So people that just need monthly cash flow to live off of, and they you know, or not even just live off of, but just you know to have, and they want security. They can't get that in the stock market. The stock market goes up and down, right? And we've seen in the last couple of years what it's done. Yeah. It's not secure. Right. If if the world something major, major, major happened in the world, that stock market could crash and they can lose everything. Yeah. Right. Now, the chances to happen are slim, but you can you know, the chance of you losing 50, 100, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the stock market is very high, depending on how long you're holding it or when you need to cash out of it. Right. Yeah. So in our, with us and partnering with us as a private money partner, you're getting consistent monthly cash flow and your investment is not going down. Right. And you getting the full return on your investment or full money out of your investment, entire principal.
Well, I'll tell you, towards the end of 2023, man, like uh, I had one thing, and this is a coach of mine, a mentor of mine told me this probably about 10 years ago, if not longer. But he said, when you get better, everything gets better. I would say, I can't say I would build it faster than I have. I would say that if I, I would have had a lot less stress and a lot more fun doing it. Yeah, uh, the the place where I'm the most active is on Facebook. So just go to Vaughn Bethel on Facebook. It's spelled just like it is there on the screen. V a u g h n b e t h e l l. Um, I'm also active on LinkedIn, and those are probably the two places I'm the most active. Um, you know, LinkedIn more so for you know business and you know uh, investing, private lenders on that standpoint. And this Facebook is a combination of both what we're doing and the impact that we're making in the communities, and also you know got to let people know what we're doing so they can get involved.